Welcome, everyone, back to the broadcast. I'm David Woods from Bruin Report Online, the UCLA site on the 24-7 Sports Network, and I am joined on this fine Friday morning, our traditional morning. No, we are not recording a podcast every single day. Get that out of your get that out of your heads. Get that thought out of your heads. I'm joined by Tracy Pearson. Tracy, how are you? I'm good, Dave. How are you? Tremendous. You look tremendous. Better. Got the wind in my sails. Got an open road of gold bricks in, in front of me. You know? There are, there's a lot green. of metaphor going on there. Nothing but green grass and blue skies, baby. Okay, first I saw a boat, then mm. a car, and then mm. you just running across a field naked. Correct. Okay. But enough about your dreams. <laughs> uh, we've got um, a lot to talk about. Uh, last time we spoke, uh, it was Monday. Deshaun Foster had just been announced as UCLA's head coach. Um, we got to talk about that. We're going to talk about staff stuff. Um, but today, because we've been neglecting uh, UCLA's crown jewel, the beautiful men's basketball program, uh, we wanted to lead off with that. Um, last night, UCLA won its sixth game in a row. I believe uh, eighth in the last nine games, the only loss to Arizona uh, beating Colorado at home, 64 to 60 um, UCLA was, I would say mostly in control. Um, they let it slip away a little bit at the end. It was tied 51 51, but then pulled away again. Um, and kind of in the same vein as the Cal game, uh, they, flipped the script from the earlier part of the year where in the closing minutes, instead of kind of collapsing like they did against Marquette or they did against Gonzaga and those schools early on, uh, they found within themselves some some willpower, um, some competitive fire, some toughness, made some big shots down the stretch. Lazar Stefanovic maybe embodied that with his big shot making at the end after he played maybe his worst game of the year before that. and they pulled out the win against a good Colorado team. Yeah, it's crazy the pattern we're seeing. Uh, yeah. They usually start out a little slow offensively, even though last night uh, both teams uh, were shooting 100%, made every shot <laughs> like for the first six minutes of the game. That, that was crazy. But usually usually UCLA starts out a little slow offensively, uh, starts playing better defense by the end of the half, Starts executing better on offense. Uh, first few minutes of the second half are up double digits. And then lets down for about, what, the next seven minutes? Yeah. <laughs> the eight minutes. And you just think, oh, they're, they're going to lose this game. And they did earlier in the year. And now they're showing enough fortitude and, and toughness to hold on. Um, Dave, though, I would really like when they get up 14 for it to just go the other way for them to push it to 21 and we just ride a double digit win out the rest of the game just once, just one more time, because this is just, it's, it's too, uh, given everything UCLA fans have gone through this, Mm -hmm. (laughs) I just want one of those games. You know, it's just one. I just want one. Yeah, excluding Shamanad, um, this team has blown out exactly one team this year, and it was St. Francis in the opener. Um, they didn't blow out Lafayette, they didn't blow out Long Island. Um, I know you want a blowout, I just want comfortable. 
Yeah, the, the closest thing to a comfortable win in this streak was USC when they won by 15 on the road. Yeah. Uh, everything else has been close. And this is the thing. So we've talked a lot about this team has obviously turned over a new leaf and is obviously playing really well. But I want to make one thing clear. They're playing really well, really well, and they're winning by between four and ten. This isn't a great UCLA team even right now. Um, they're playing – they're extremely locked in and focused right now, and so they're playing really, really well. If they suddenly stop playing really, really well, they will lose games. It's not like they can just get by on talent. This is a team that has to work, be super focused, be super locked in to win by eight. Um, and that's a good thing. Like they're, they're really locked in right now. If you look at um, uh, Bart Torvik, who does another set of advanced stats uh, like Ken Palm. If you look at the game scores during this stretch, they have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven of these games where they've scored above 90, uh, which means that's really good. That's uh, before this stretch. The only ones that were like that were Marquette, which they lost by two and St. Francis. Um, that was 84, which was close enough. Um, the two games that they didn't do that were ASU where they really could have lost um, and they were getting uh, close to blown out in the middle of that game. And then Oregon state and Oregon state's just not very good. So they were able to get by there, but the rest of the season, if they want to make the tournament, they've got to continue to play like this. Like it has to be locked in on defense and like zero turnovers on offense. And if they do that, they can beat anybody but they've got to play their like 95% game to keep doing this. Yeah. And that's, that might be asking a lot. Uh, I mean, I think, you know, we're all at this point, you, you kind of start thinking, are they going to make the NCAA tournament? And you start kind of fantasizing that they will. And you start to lean the way that they, that they will like you, you're not just hoping, but then you kind of come back down and start realizing that, First, that would be a, a huge uh, – that would be even bigger than 2020, I think, to get them into the tournament coming from where they were. They were at a much, much, much lower point with more quad one opportunities in 2020. Right. Um, so uh, – sorry, they were at a much lower point this year. This year. And yeah. they had a lot more resume opportunities down the stretch that year. So. Right. It's a much, much tougher road to hoe. Um, but I would say this, comparatively, this team has hit a peak that probably surpasses what they were doing in 2020 in that stretch. Like that 2020 stretch was really, really good. But this team is doing some things right now where they're not having the lulls. Like if you remember during that stretch, they lost to Oregon by 21. They lost to Arizona State by 18. Uh, they barely beat Washington State in overtime when they played a bad game. Uh, this team isn't having those blips. Um, it's it's truly like the the light switch just suddenly was like, oh, it's completely off. We played our worst game in the Cronin era. Okay, now let's just play like more or less perfect basketball. Yeah, I think it's all it's all it's not black or white. You're right. I think this team is more consistent in that team but i still think there's blips like what i said every game we're getting a, a mid second half blip and lull that is a lot to get through and and this has been a great run I, I, they very easily could have lost a few of these games they've they've won them so that's that's saying something but it's not like they're like i wrote 
they're playing well, but they're far from they're so far from playing a flawless game. In in fact, most of their games are flawed. Um, if they get less flawed, I, I, they could get some comfortable wins here because th- there are so many things that uh, there's so much room for improvement that I see. Um, so actually, let's get in. Let's get into that a little, and it, it all centers around for me so much of it. I mean, there's so many elements of it, but a dem bonus fouling is such an indication of which way this team goes. And you and I were talking off. Uh, off mic <laughs> before we came on. I don't know if he'll. No matter. I'm. I know this staff has him in. You know the film room. They've got him on the court. They are just getting in his head, trying to keep him from committing. And and it's not committing fouls. It's committing bad fouls. Um, but it it is almost like it's almost it's like similar. It's like trying to. It's like trying to train a Labrador retriever not to run. I mean, it's it's near impossible, I think, to get a Dembona not to foul. Uh, I, he's gotten better, but not but not good enough. Yeah, I mean, I, so last night here was kind of so it was a really I would say uh, well officiated game. Um, it was, first, wasn't it? It was shocking. It, well, it's because it's an out of region crew. Uh, Roger Ayers, he's one of the best refs in college basketball, and he usually refs Big Ten and SEC and ACC games. But yeah. anyway, um, the uh, the Bona had no fouls in the first half. Then he got to about the 13 and a half minute mark and picked up uh, two extremely quick ones and then one another one quickly after that. So he had three by I think the 10 minute mark. So suddenly it was impacting him. Um, and then he picked up his fourth with about three minutes to go and he had to be taken off. Um, I would think, so for me, this one watching the game, and I think Cronin alluded to this afterwards, and I, this is one small excuse making for Bona, but then addressing your larger point. I think he was fatigued because he played a lot of consecutive minutes because they couldn't keep Mara on the floor because they couldn't guard anybody with him. And he wanted to play Mara instead of Nuba because, anyway. Um, so Bona was playing a lot more consecutive minutes, I think, than he usually does because he didn't have any of that foul trouble. And the foul trouble serves to help with his conditioning because, hey, he can take a rest. He he, got, he picked up his second foul in the first half. Um, but it was a lot more minutes, I think, than he's usually playing. And I think he was fatigued a little bit more in the second half. And I think that made him do some things that he's prone to a little bit more aggressively, but your larger point, which is he's picking up four fouls a game or five fouls a game. And it seems like it's, it's not getting better. It seems like it's actually getting a little bit worse as the season wears on. Um, Like he's, and I think a lot of it is um, that energy. And this is the thing Cronin's been saying from the beginning. It's his best asset that he's just aggressive and goes crazy after every single ball and, and is trying to get a steal on every possession. Uh, but it's also his greatest hindrance. And I mean, last night was a great example, not even the fouls, but in the first half when he um, missed the shot, airballed it, then made a crazy athletic play to try to get the ball that was going out of bounds, tried to throw it off a guy. But like first, just stop right there. That guy making that play from under the hoop, going around the guy who's trying to block everyone out from even touching the ball, and he gets it, 
and has a great chance to throw it off somebody. But in the meantime, he has no regard for his body, no regard for where he is, no no regard for his personal safety, falls hard on his shoulder and, you know, makes everyone gasp at home. Ah, it was his head. His well, head no, hit the floor. The, the, the replay, it was his shoulder that hit hard and then his head kind of bounced up off of it, but it was with the headband. So it, it didn't end up being too much of his head, but it was a really, really hard fall. Um, and that is it's the same thing. It's the exact same thing, which is he just is trying 110% at all times. And you would like him to dial it back just at times, pick your spots, pick your spots to be super intense. And I didn't mind it in the beginning of that second half because, Hey, you've got zero fouls, pick up a couple, but once you pick up a couple, you got to dial it back. Yeah. And I'm not buying the fatigue thing. Um, he only uh, uh, Cronin played him 13 with no fouls in the first half. He played him 13 minutes. Uh, I mean, he Cronin had this plan. Uh, no matter what, he has no fouls. I'm still taking him out and getting him some rest. Yeah, but he played, I think, up until he started picking up fouls. He was in, I think, the entire second half. He was, but that was only that was what six minutes into the second half. It's not like he played 18 minutes in the first half. That's what I'm saying. Uh, sure. The other the other significant part here. That's probably a little bit of a change. When he picked up that third foul, between his third and fourth foul, he played. He yeah. was in the game. Um, I think it's getting the point where he's getting a little bit. It's a combination. Cronin's getting a little bit more confident in Mara. Uh, he's getting to the point where, ah, uh, F it. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I got to play him down the stretch. I got to, because he would have usually taken him out on that third foul. And, and he didn't. Right. Um, because, and, and the combination that Colorado was making a run and uh, UCLA needed him on the floor. So that was really significant. And it worked. He got his fourth foul at three minutes, but he played almost all of that. He played 19 minutes in the second half. So he played the majority of that time with three fouls, which is what we've kind of been. I understand it's kind of scary. Um, but it worked. Um, yeah, I think you've always said, and Hicks has always said, Greg Hicks, and I've always said, I think coaches manage fouls a little bit too conservatively. Uh, uh, and especially in the second half, um, it's a little, uh, it's really hard with Bona. I mean, my God, he picked up those three fouls, what in, in four minutes. So, that's got to be driving Cronin crazy. And as I said, I know the staff has done a lot to try to help him, but I, I don't think, I don't know if he'll ever make big strides in, in being able to do that. It's just who he is. Yeah. Um, it's hard. Um, he should come back a year and keep trying though. I think he should. Don't you and agree, Dave? I think he should get paid $1 million American to come back and uh and uh have a have a all-american type junior year um but yeah go ahead can we just talk about um because uh, we we've dogged him for the um the fouls uh, we got to give him his flowers as an offensive player though oh my god yeah he's it, making it, shots it where i have ptsd from old bona where oh no he's not oh that was a nice little i have turn around seen, jump hook i have never seen i, I think in-season improvement from a big the way he has improved in season. It's crazy. Like his passing out of the post is like, 
wow, where, when did this happen? Uh, and it's, it was just that this is the biggest light switch thing because it was literally, they went to Utah and it was horrible. And then they played Washington and it was suddenly a lot better. And then they played ASU and it was like the, maybe the key factor in that win. Um, and it's just, I, it's, it's stunning how he has improved his under control takes to the rim, um, what he's doing and just like the pause, like if they could get him to like calm down on defense, the same way he kind of calms down, like you can see him, you're like watching it in real time as he's standing there, like posting a guy up and he's like, I'm going to take a breather. I'm just going to, I'm just going to stand here for a second and I'm going to wait for things to happen. Um, and then he inevitably makes a good decision. Um, even if it's a miss, it's inevitably a good decision. It's been incredible. Um, well, so, a lot of it was moving him to the low block. Yeah, yeah. I mean, not doing away with the two posts, but even still, the the um, the individual improvement. And then I want to bring this up because um, we've talked about it, but it needs to be said. Uh, UCLA's turnover rate. So the first three games of the streak, Washington, ASU, and Arizona, it wasn't great. Um, they were still kind of in the mid-teens to high-teens in turnover rate, meaning one in five possessions, you're more or less... Uh, turning the ball over USC and on, they haven't had a turnover rate in a game over 12%. Um, and they've had four single digit turnover rates, which is elite. When you get into the single digits, that means you're turning it over less than one out of every 10 possessions, which is really good. Uh, the only other single digit output this entire year was in the opener against St. Francis. Every other game was double digits, but now in the last six games, they've had four where they've been in single digits in turnover rate. It's it's by far, like I think the, the most significant um, data point you can find when a, when a Cronin team is starting to get it, that turnover rate comes way down, way, way down. And a huge part of it is Dylan Andrews, who's been playing um, lights out basketball, uh, throw away the shooting doesn't like yes it matters doesn't really uh he's not turning the ball over a ton he turned it over three times in that game but it was mostly really aggressive um uh post denial uh the 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 defense and his taking care of the ball have just been elite at, at a really really high level and it's been a huge factor in this run yeah uh, that leads me i, I want to talk about the colorado game a, a bit because we're talking about coaching um, you know, let's start off with that, with the argument that everyone wants to see a high scoring team, uh, that gets up and down that averages 80 points a game. And I get it. It's exciting. That's fun. Um, it's not for me. I, I just, I can't stand it when I watch possession after possession of, of teams that don't defend that just, that just kills me. Um, like watching Premier Soccer, Dave, when the de defenders are getting paid millions of dollars and they're just standing there, someone goes by them. That just drives me nuts. Um, I'm watching Arizona play drives me nuts. And Arizona's a pretty good defensive team, but man, they go through really bad defensive lulls. Um, but a high-scoring team, and that's what that's how that's how they're coached to play. Cronin Cronin's philosophy is. If you play good defense and you minimize possessions, uh, you are going to be in most games. I mean, it's it's that and and minimize turnovers. You are going to be in most games, and and it works, and it especially works. What's been stunning 
is that it translates, that philosophy translates to older uh, experienced teams. But now we're seeing that it translates to younger and experienced teams that would be prone to making mistakes and making turnovers. It actually works with a team of children, yeah, which is which is phenomenal. In this game against Colorado, you had one team taking care of the ball. Well, talking about Colorado, Colorado needed to win that game. Yeah, that was huge for them. They needed that game, and not only did they lose, they didn't look like they gave a crap in that game. I mean, they were standing around. If you if you watch them, their body language, they weren't they weren't in a stance. They were standing up and down, throwing away just carelessly throwing away passes, uh, careless turnovers. Um, their intensity level just wasn't there. The contrast between that and UCLA, where UCLA is just focused, playing hard, so more physically tough. Colorado, I mean, and I was a I was a Tad Boyle fan overall. I think he's a decent coach, but man, that is a soft, soft team. Uh, Cody Williams is a first round pick. I, I don't think he touched a Bruin. <laughs> For minutes on end, uh, yeah. he he was taking people off the dribble. He was getting that backdoor thing. Sebastian Mack went started defending him, bumped him a few times, and he, Cody Williams just like backed off. Um, yeah. De Silva, I know he's a jump shooter, but dang man, you got Will McClendon on you. He's six three. You're six eight. Yeah, out physicaling him the entire game. Out the whole game. And all he had to do was draw a foul. Uh, uh, De Silva shoots 84% or something from, from the line. Just take a couple of dribbles and draw a foul. And when he shot that fadeaway, I just went, oh, my. That's just not acceptable. Well, even um, Lampkin, he's he, he what? Has 30, 35 pounds on Bona? At, and an inch to two. And it's just like, how are you not – how are you? Not and you like want to draw a foul. And yeah. the number one thing you should come in. I mean, when you go to play UCLA, the scout should say, draw fouls on a Dembona. Yep. Um, and then the thing, KJ Simpson, who we've been big fans of, I thought UCLA should have taken him. Uh, let's not get into the argument where they had a scholarship or not. That let's just say they should have taken him. Uh and he's usually kind of a, a tough kid and I'll and I'll tell you when I was if I if I were going to project who would be a great defender it would have been him as a prospect he wasn't necessarily a great shooter out of high school he was good off the dribble he was fast he could drive but he wasn't a great shooter he's really inconsistent but damn he had all the makings of an elite elite defender in that game last night he's to me, it looks like he's resting on the defensive end now. Yeah. Imagine if he had been in UCLA's on UCLA's team, where he'd be as a defender. And then, uh, you know, you've got to give Dylan Andrew a huge amount of credit. Just shut him down. He usually averages 19 points. He scored four. And it's not even – he didn't even take shots. He looked no, so he, rattled. Dylan Andrews him. was all over him, but then bumped him a few times. Yeah. And cut off his drive, and it seemed like it just sapped any will to play from Simpson. Cut off his drive, but bumped him a few times too, and th that's what did it. Uh, 
God, the difference in toughness and uh, was was stark. And that is that is coaching. Um, Colorado is a talented, talented team. They should not be where they are. And I've watched them a few times. I haven't watched them that much, actually. And then I obviously watched the game last night. And I can tell you, it's just they lack toughness, and that's where the, that's why they are where they are. Um, yeah. Very simply, it's stark contrast in just not coaching style, but in that last night game, in last night's game, in coaching too, and how Cronin brought them through, uh, and managing and managing Bona. Um, just uh, there were times when um, <laughs> he went small. He had. McClendon, Mac, and Andrews on the court at the same time going against going against their bigger wings because he realized, well, my guys are tougher than yours. <laughs> yeah. So it all worked. And and it's 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 a testament to to really I mean, I, I could get into more and more details about that game as a microcosm of coaching right there. Yeah. No, uh, the, I mean, there's a few, like, just kind of significant factors. Um, defensive rebounding has also been a big improvement uh, in this stretch, um, particularly in the last six. Um, and that was uh, the kind of amazing thing last night um, was Lazar Stefanovic for uh, 32 minutes really didn't play well. Um, he was struggling on defense, didn't rebound at all. Um I don't think he even. I don't think he even took a shot until pretty late. Certainly didn't score until pretty late. Um, and they still really controlled the glass for most of this game. Um, offensive rebounding was pretty good, uh, but defensive rebounding was excellent. Um, they, I think. Let me see. In the first half, uh, Colorado had a total of two offensive rebounds, and in the second half, they had four. Um, kept him way below 30% uh, on offensive rebounds. Um, the the general, like, uh, commitment to the defensive glass from the guards, uh, you know, Dylan Andrews pulled down a couple where he had to sky for him. Will McClendon does this every game. Uh, Sebastian Mack is showing a knack for defensive rebounding. Um, when they get that kind of commitment from these guys, um, it shows a level of buy-in. Because it's not often like guards want to sit back there and uh, and just defensive rebound. It's not fun. They want to get out on the break. But to do that and have you know kind of all five committed to the glass, um, it's that's changed some things. Erasing second shot attempts. This team is is very committed to that the the whole brutal math idea. Like they are uh, erasing second shot attempts. Um, they're not turning the ball over, and that combination is. As long as they keep shooting like reasonably well, um, they're going to be in every game if they keep doing that. Yeah, um, you know it's just it's 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 so interesting to watch because we can get caught up in certain styles of basketball. And I mean, I'll I'll, I'll admit, like I said, Cronin's philosophy, his his approach his strategy to winning you'll win more consistently this way. Um, if you play this way. And I think most, most, you know, most good coaches aren't stupid. They realize it too, but 
in today's recruiting, you it's hard to find players who will buy into this. Uh, and, and I mean, to be candid, that's the that's the problem Cronin will face always is finding players who will buy into this, who who are fit for him to play his style. Um, it's not for everyone. <laughs> um, so, but when he finds it, um, it's kind of magical to watch. And you, and this team is going to be interesting to see. I mean, let's skip forward a little. I mean, we have to talk about Utah, but let's skip forward just a little. Um, who will return from this team? I mean, it's going to be a question of, of who Cronin wants to return. And then who who will choose, decide they want to return. And it, it will be all about what we're just saying. If you're buying into playing Cronin's style of basketball. Um, I heard a funny story after the game last night. So Adai Mara is, is playing better and better, right? Easily um, getting better. And Cronin is trusting him um, more and more. Now, if if trusting means he's playing five minutes, <laughs> which is what he played last night, is five minutes. After the game, most players would be, if they just, you know, they're overhyped or just hyped players internationally with, you know, American players. If they played five minutes as freshmen, most of the time they are grumbling that they're not getting enough time. Um, from what I heard, among all the guys on this team, you would think maybe a Daimara, 7'3", skinny, uh, just not physically there yet, has been hailed as a first-round draft pick. He might be the spoiled one that might have um, reacted to Cronin style to have this little bald guy yelling at you, that it might be too much for him. From what I've learned, I mean, he's 18 years old and he's the one who just sits there and can take it. It just rolls off his back. This guy's yelling at him in a foreign language and he's maybe, he doesn't understand everything Cronus <laughs> <laughs> might be good, but it's, and he's just smiling. Um, so yeah, like last night after the game, most, most players would be pretty disgruntled with five minutes from what I heard. He's saying something pretty emphatically in Spanish. And and then when someone realized what he was saying, he was in Spanish. He's saying, not in my house. <laughs> <laughs> not in my house. He's Two just repeating it over and over again. Two blocks, not in my house. <laughs> I mean, that's that's the I'm not saying Adaimara is gonna stay. We've had reports that he intends to stay for next at least for next season. But that's what you need. And yeah. It's hard, even it's it's more difficult to do your vetting of foreign players. You don't watch them that much. You don't have as many sources into them to realize what kind of players they are. I mean, Cronin, this is really part of his vetting of of prospects is, are they tough kids? Uh, are they going to be able to play this way? And it's tougher with international. So, but it's, it's funny that, it is clearly a Daimara among the international players. And I'm not saying the other guys haven't. I'm just saying it's clearly he's bought in, um, which you might not have anticipated. Right. Um, all right. So looking ahead at Utah. Um, so since the two teams played last time, which was a 46-point loss for UCLA, they've gone in different directions. 
Uh, UCLA is eight and one. Utah is three and six. Uh, this feels like um, like one of those boxing matches where uh, one guy beats the other guy just bloody as hell, knocks him down, uh, just spitting teeth out, but in the process broke his hand and then he's disqualified. Um, that's what happened here. UCLA has broken Utah. They broke them with their face, but they broke them. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so coming into Sunday, uh, Utah is now on the very, very wrong side of the bubble um, and trending downward. Dangerous, dangerous game uh, because UCLA, you heard it this week from Brandon Williams, but they're going to want this one. They've been on a little bit of a revenge tour. This is kind of the final uh, boss in that revenge tour. And it's a team that beat them by 46. I wouldn't be surprised if we see a pressing UCLA team and not pressing in the good way where they're like, you know, getting up and down the court 98 feet, but like pressing, like trying to, trying to score 50 points with a single shot. Um, calming down and making sure they are playing the same sort of basketball they've been playing for the last six games, especially is critical because Utah could collapse, but they're going to come in focused because they go, they really need this one. They need to pick up a win here and they definitely need to not get a loss. Cause this would be a quad two loss for them, which would be just final nail in the coffin. Um, they need, they need a win. They're going to be focused at least to start. UCLA needs to match that focus. They need to maintain the same level of play they've had the last six games and don't let the fact that this team did beat you bloody last time impact this at all. Yeah, I'm I I completely agree. I, I just um uh Colorado came in and they needed to win last night and they didn't. They needed to play hard. They needed to play with intensity. Did I, I we'll see if what happened. I mean Utah just lost to USC. Yep. And I mean, US, USC looked like they played a pretty decent game. I didn't actually watch it. Um, I, I, I don't know. We'll see if Utah has that in them. I, Colorado I don't was fresh off a blowout loss. Here's what Utah's been doing. They lost in triple overtime to Arizona at home. They lost by eight to Arizona State, and they lost by four to USC on the road. This, They're not... They're not playing as well as they were when they beat UCLA, but they're not collapsing. Uh, Colorado, well, they lost by twenty to Arizona at home. Are they beaten down, or will they come in with a back, a backs against the, the wall? That's yeah, the big question. Exactly. It, I don't think it's the UCLA. Whether they'll bring it is a question. I think it's what Utah team will they be? Will they have that mentality? We need to win this game to make the NCAA tournament, or not? And this is the part I'm concerned about because the last, uh, what was the game? Was it Cal or Stanford where Dylan Andrews came out and he was, he was obviously pressing. Like he was trying to, because he'd played a really bad game the previous time out. Uh, no, I'm, I, yeah, it was one of those two. Yeah. He, I think he needs to be locked in and not doing that because it doesn't matter. This is an entirely different team. And frankly, you're an entirely different player. Um, the, the different completely different thing than it was a month ago. And uh, I think that's going to be a key. If they come in with focus, if UCLA plays the same game that it's been playing for the last six games, I think they could win by 10. Um, but it's, it's going to require that. Yes. And so that's, that's four o'clock on Sunday. Oh, and we need to, um, uh, we're going to make our another, another call here. You got to go to the game. I'm talking to you out there it's four o'clock on a sunday it's a holiday weekend 
maybe you got a ski trip or something. I don't know. And I don't care. Come on back down and go to the game. Uh, it's going to be a raucous atmosphere. This is the one, if I had to pick one, that's going to suddenly have people nationally talking a little bit about, wait, what's going on in Westwood? They've won seven straight. They've won nine of 10. Is that a tournament team? Like there'll be some stories this week and some, in some major publications about that. If they win this one Sunday afternoon at four o'clock, there is no excuse not to go to that. game. And I, you know what? I've been making excuses for UCLA fans, uh, in football because i get it i really do get it you you never bought into chip kelly and after those first three seasons given the other last three seasons of jim mora you were beaten down and and you never got over those first three seasons of of chip kelly and he wasn't exactly are you speaking specifically to me Uh, and, and it wasn't as if you had a head coach that really engaged you and tried to bring you back. It's almost like he said, fine, screw you. Uh, I'm going to take away the spring game. I mean, he, he reacted the other way. Yeah. You got, you got a coach now who you can get behind and a great story of a team this season. I, I mean, this is, you know, we make this analogy a lot. This is a Disney movie, man. Uh, I mean, <laughs> 46 points a month ago, and now they're going to play them again. And if they win and they're, they continue on a track to potentially have a chance to make the NCAA tournament, there isn't, that's a better story than, you know, they're uh, 20 and 22 and five and coasting down, coasting down the stretch. This is a better story. There's more drama here. Yeah. And and don't fool yourself that the energy from the stands changes things. It absolutely does uh, so much so in basketball. Um, uh, basketball coaches tell me that all the time. Uh, they can see their players feeding off the energy in the building. So yeah. no no excuse. This is the this is the best Easily the best story right now, or potentially the best story since 2020 of football and basketball in many, many, many years. And the only other one that comes close is making and is that run to the final four. Uh, This is that type of story. So you all need to get on board, get in your car Sunday afternoon. My God. Yeah. Come on. Four o'clock on a Sunday. There's no better time to watch a basketball game. Um. And there's no, there's no NFL. There, that's all done. There was a Super Bowl. We all saw it. You're good. Um, okay. Well, that's basketball uh, in very good position. So last, when last we spoke uh, about football, uh, Deshaun Foster had just been hired. It was our fourth podcast in four days, um, and I think we sounded a little bit. Um, uh, what would the word be? conflicted or uh indecisive or uh maybe just kind of generally like i don't know um i think given four days to kind of process the thing um i'm i'm more um maybe the word is optimistic maybe a little bit more optimistic than i was on monday um i think this so right now, and it's it doesn't actually have a whole lot to do with the hire. It doesn't have a whole lot to do with Deshaun Foster. It has a lot to do with the absence of Chip Kelly. 
Um, Because I realized, like, for me personally, the thought of having to cover another year of that guy was like a weight on my shoulders. Like, it was like something that was oppressing me. Um, And so the simple fact that I personally don't have to do that and I don't have to watch that guy continue to not care about the job that he's doing and continue to not care about UCLA in any way whatsoever, that's, that's a big load off. Like going to that Deshaun Foster press conference and seeing a guy, look, bare minimum, he's going to care. And yes, if you'd said that, that right after the New Heisel era or right after the Durrell era, you'd be like, yeah, of course they care, but that doesn't matter for beans. Uh, we just saw somebody who sucked really bad and also didn't care. And that was one of the worst experiences of watching a football program I've ever had. Uh, and it was for six straight years. So bare minimum, Deshaun Foster is going to care. He's going to care more than probably anybody. Like, he cares. Um, he's an alum. He, he wants to be remembered as a legend. Uh, and he will be already for his playing days, but why not a coach too? So that alone uh, right there. And then the other piece is how that already seems to be inspiring people. And again, I think it's it's the absence of Chip Kelly factor that I think is getting people pumped up. And frankly, uh, the bro uh, community's donations uh, to NIL that we saw from not even just for the matching thing that we did uh, between Tuesday and uh, Thursday, but the um, outpouring of support since Friday. Right now, just to give everyone some updated numbers, because people didn't stop giving after um, the matching thing was done. It's $120,000 in a week um, since Chip Kelly left. Uh, there was like 37 to 40 that came in between that and the matching. And then the matching was another um, 76. And then it's been another probably 10 grand since then. So all of that, plus the matches that have happened, like, I mean, Bruin, Bruin Report Online. Is the biggest whale <laughs> UCLA has. It's been, it's and been I don't mean to sound, <laughs> I don't mean to sound arrogant here, but UCLA better start appreciating the damn whaleness that we are. Okay. Yeah, it was about two hundred. I mean, when you factor in the matches, it's it's over two hundred thousand dollars or more or less. Uh, that's that's crazy, but also I think that should that should lighten that should light up some optimism flares in your brain uh, because look. The coaching hire is the coaching hire. I, I I am in the same position I was in on Monday. I have no idea if this is going to work. None. Like zero idea. I'm not going to try to speculate about it. I will tell you it's a risk. I will tell you it's a gamble. But I don't really know. Like if Deshaun Foster hires extremely well at offensive coordinator and if Akaika Malloy is ready to go at defensive coordinator and they recruit and the NIL continues apace with what's what's just been the outpouring of mostly small dollar donors at this point. Yeah. I mean, sure. This could work. Um, and that's, that's the position you want to be in right now. I mean, look, would we all, I think maybe have preferred if uh, Martin Jarman had fired in November and Jed fish had been hired and they were recruiting like madmen heading into early signing day. And they signed a class that was actually in the top 40 instead of the bottom 40. Sure. Uh, I think that would be preferable. But given the menu of options in February, I mean, yeah, there's a couple others that I would have liked to take a, a, a run at instead. But um, 
the likelihoods of success when you're hiring in February are always pretty small. So this seems to have energized people. Um, yeah. And that's, yeah. that's a not insignificant factor when we were talking about all the things that need to happen over the next 12 months. One of them is at least showing some flickering signs of life. Yeah. Uh, just to reiterate that bro is a whale. Bro is a whale. We are. Uh, we need a. We need a. What was the orca? Shamu. Sure. Yeah. We were free, Willie. We're, yeah. we're we're free. Um, free from the shackles of SeaWorld. SeaWorld here being Chip Kelly. You know, there's so much. There's always been so much talk on the forum. Like, well, put your money where your mouth is. You know, you should. You should donate to men of Westwood, uh, regardless of what you think about Chip Kelly. All this. Uh, I, I'll just come out and say it. There, there are some UCLA donors that are still on a, in a wait and see mode. There are some that have jumped in, uh, but the entity that has jumped in is Bruin Report Online. Is all those bros on that forum collectively as a whale right now? Um, there aren't there aren't too many whales too who give a certain amount and you, you could go back to that whale well immediately yeah. and quickly and get money like this. This is a very nimble whale we got going here at bro. Yeah. Um, and I'm not just talking about UCLA needs to, you know, uh, understand what bro is in terms of just you and me, but in terms of this community that's built here, this is a powerful force that, well, it's, and it's, this it's, was, this was really, it's shown it before, but this was significant in this last week. It truly is. It's, it's, it's sort of a blend between like a community owned like organization, like the green Bay Packers and like some of those premier league fan clubs, like that just, um, like the power of like small dollar support at, um, at many levels it can't be discounted um, and they need to be energized. And I think uh, UCLA would be dropping the ball if they didn't continue to energize those people. And, you know, some of that is with like, you know, um, granting interviews and all that kind of stuff, but yeah. also like the fan engagement piece needs to continue because what is bro, if not fan um, engagement. a huge subset of, uh, the most passionate fan base um, yeah. that you have the people who have remained engaged during this mostly awful 25 years of UCLA sports. Like that's, I mean, think about like who we're talking to you, but think about who you are. Like, think about what that means. Um, and that should be a huge thing. Like there should be major fan engagement. Like even if you don't want to invite all the hoi polloi, Hey, if you're a bro subscriber, you get to come to uh, this practice. In fact, you guys get to come up on the uh, Wasserman veranda and come hang out. If you no, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna be working it. Uh, I'm gonna be asking that bros who contributed to uh, Men of Westwood get some kind of extra access, like it's spring practice or something. Something's got to be appreciated here because this is phenomenal what's happened. Also a shout out to Ken Grayer of Men of Westwood for, I I mean, just to step up and do what he's doing. And then secondly, I'm not going to take credit for having 
I mean, I had a little bit of the idea, but this was mostly Ken who decided to um, energize Bro as as this whole donation thing through Bro. So give him massive amounts of credit for being able to see this. Oh, um, and a shout out to um, Bruin CJ, uh, just so everyone knows. That's a fellow Bro who was the matching donor on the initial 50,000 of that campaign oh, oh oh wait so let's just review <laughs> yeah. yes brew and cj amazing but the matching guy isn't some remote donor who's no. saying hey bro he's a bro too so uh, you know what let's take credit for that one too <laughs> but i mean it, the 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 reality is and this is i mean and this is maybe the larger point i want to get to i, I mean like, wait well i just gotta say would he have been that inspired maybe he would but would he have been that inspired if he didn't come to bruno report online and see everything that happens on the site and on the forum well know. and also having the idea to match it's I mean, having I the idea to match yeah because that's uh you know he recognizes um the passion of the fan base but i mean the the whole um the 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 thing so UCLA gets criticized a lot for fans and not having fans but I mean the people on our message board are those aggressive fans and you know we're not going to get into our subscriber totals but it's a sizable amount of people um and uh there's the fan engagement piece um like yes special access for bro in some way would be great but on top of that um just engage the fan base because if you engage the fan base and like even the people who aren't on bro do fall camp at some other venue that where it's easier for fans to come out and watch Tracy's going to talk about Cal Lutheran because it's in his backyard, but it could also be San Bernardino. That's also fine. It's just easier access for most UCLA fans that go to Cal Lou Dave for Tracy Pearson. Oh, uh, come on. Um, I'm just saying. Uh, but you know what? And we've always we've always written about how fan engagement is something that really enhances a program, and it enhances it, having people out at, at the Rose Bowl. Um, it just enhances the whole experience. I get it. But now with NIL, if you inspire UCLA alum and fans, there is it, a direct correlation yes. to you getting NIL money and getting good players. I, I mean. It's gone it's from it's, it's gone from a peripheral element to like top top of the list here. Yeah, it's no longer this this money helps you uh you know build a building somewhere down the line or butts in the seats helps inspire your team. And, and we're those yeah. people are necessary. And we're we're to talking the about propagation of your program, donor relations and engagement. Bro has now proven that. Fan engagement, because let's not call, uh, I mean, we can call them donors, but when we call big donors donor engagement, we mean the big donors. But now you can see how key it is to engaging just fans, not big time donors, how that pays off in the NIL world. So yeah, it, it was like 700 donors with an average donation of about 120 bucks. Like that's amazing. It's, I mean, it's, that's, that's impressive. So I think. If you if you helped give or if you helped promote, you should give yourself a pat on the back. Um, I think you showed something, and I think it it's enough proof of concept that I think you are going to see if if UCLA is smart, and I I think there's enough smart people, you're going to see more fan engagement. You're going to see a ton more of that um, over the coming months, um, and I think it will be 
more similar to the Jim Mora era. It seems like Deshaun Foster is taking more of his cues from that, at least in what he's publicly saying at this point. Um, he's talked about San Bernardino. Um, he's talked about opening up spring ball and, and trying to get everyone around and accessing the program, improving just general fan access to all these things. Um, all of that stuff is it's essential. And in the absence of, you know, there's not an offensive coordinator announced today. There's not, you know, there's not, there's no football to be played right now. In the absence of all of the things that are on field, um, these are the things you needed to hear. You needed to hear somebody going on a PR campaign and trying to pitch all this stuff. Um, and, you know, we'll, we'll see how the proof is in the pudding. But as of right now, nailing a lot of that soft stuff, nailing a lot of the stuff that is, you know, and it's not, and as we just said, it's not even that soft stuff anymore. Like it's yeah. necess, it's necessary uh, to the the long term success of your program. So let's talk. Let's talk more hard stuff for a second. Then let's talk some hard stuff. Let's not talk uh, this soft. Let's talk about the the staff. Um, right, that's a now, hard thing. A staff is a hard thing. It is. Um, you want to go back and talk about a dumb bone? No. Um, UCLA currently has seven coaches on staff. That is quarterback coach Billy Fessler, wide receiver coach Jerry Neuheisel, offensive line coach Tim Drevno. Just looking at the way you know co- coaching staff is usually structured, you're missing a running back coach, a tight end coach, and that offensive coordinator. Uh, on defense, you've got Tony Washington, who has been the defensive line coach for a month. Uh, the cornerbacks coach is Cody Whitfield, safety coach Brian Norwood, and Akaika Malloy, who is the defensive coordinator who was hired by Chip Kelly uh, and then was, well, was first the interim defensive coordinator for the bowl game and then hired by Chip Kelly as defensive coordinator. So that would be seven. Uh, you need an offensive coordinator, Dave. <laughs> Correct. Yeah. Why didn't, so, why didn't UCLA just retain its old offensive coordinator, Tracy? <laughs> I mean, he's the offensive coordinator at Ohio State. Why didn't he just stay? Yeah. Um, oh, let's not talk about that. Oh, um, so we've uh, – there are some names out there uh, that are being uh, thrown around. And at this moment, I can – there are a couple that I – I can't mention just because I don't want to, I don't want to burn the source at this moment. Uh, but there is a post on the, (laughs) (laughs) and I won't even tell you where, but there's some posters who are really tied in or at least one. So go find that. Um, there's some good candidates. Let's say that. Yeah. 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 Um, the question will be two. You have 10 on-field coaches. If you retain everyone who's currently, you really got you got four positions and and you uh, to fill, but you only got you only got three more, you got seven coaches. So if you retain everyone, you can only hire three more and you got four positions to fill. So something's got to give, Dave. Um yeah. let's just, you need a linebacker coach, so that's done right there. Um uh uh, I've, I've, okay. I just want to say Akaika Malloy right now is defensive coordinator. I'm hearing that's still likely. It's not a hundred percent done. Uh, I heard there could be a little bit more movement among the defensive 
uh, coaches. Um, and then on offense, uh, do you find an offensive coordinator who's also your tight ends coach? Uh, does Billy Fessler stay, or do they eat that? Do they eat that contract? That would be really a screwed up thing to do to a guy. But you know, Chip or Kelly throw, was throw tight ends under wide receivers. You can do that. Yeah, you can do that. Um, I think that wouldn't work too well though. UCLA's tight ends role, if it continues forward like it was, I, I think um, making a dedicated tight ends coach has really paid off. Um, but like you know, what Chip Kelly did with this, you know, he wanted to keep acting like. You know, he was functioning as UCLA's head coach for various reasons and to hire all these guys and then to also sign some to extended contracts and push for that. I got to tell you, Bill Plasky, I don't know if you saw him. He was on, uh, he's been going around talking yeah, he's a on lot. Dan Patrick. He's on Dan Patrick. And he basically said, shame on you, Chip Kelly, for doing what you did. And it's disgraceful. What, what he did to this program is. and what he spent the last two months doing is disgraceful. And I mean, that, we, we know he hold, didn't care, but man, now he showed he really didn't care. Hold two thoughts within your mind. And I do this. I wanted him fired, obviously, in November. Um, but at the same time, once you have not been fired, you have a you're you're getting paid six million dollars, dude. You got to do your job. Like they basically didn't recruit, and then they uh, did this thing, which saddles the next coach. You know you're going gone. You know you're leaving, no matter what job you get. You know you're leaving. So why are you uh, pushing for assistant coach contracts? Maybe you're helping those guys out, but you that's what screwing, it is, Dave. You are screwing the the program. You have you're a screwing duty. the program. You have a duty to give a crap. And he didn't. Um, yeah, but see, and- the way coaches think is it's it's a fraternity among them. I'm going to take care of my guys at the expense of your employer or your school with no appreciation for what the school has done to you. It's all about protecting your your coaches and your guys. And they think that's the way they look like good people. <laughs> no, and this is this is I think you can tell a lot by a person uh, by by how a person functions in uh their roles like what their character is and like who who and what you care about um and a college football role is um so much of it is about and this is something where like i, I get a, driven a little bit crazy by the UCLA administration too because they talk, talk about it as a student athlete centric uh model and then you've got chip kelly who obviously had an, a, a coach centric model like coaches the only ones who matter um and that's all nice to say, like it's all nice, but, but all sports are fan centric at a certain level. Like you have, like, there's a, there's a parasocial, like emotional relationship you have with the fan base. And he didn't care about that at all. Um, and he didn't care about the future functioning of this program in any way. Um, and so I think people like there was somebody on the board who said something like, well, I, you know, I, I wish the best to all people who were, uh, you know, at UCLA, I wish them best in the future. And I'm like, you, that guy doesn't care about you at all. Um, doesn't care about this program at all. And look, wish the best for Carl Durrell, wish the best for Rick Nuhas, or wish the best for Jim Mora. They all cared. This guy didn't. He and he and Steve Alford, uh, I mean, I, I, I wish them no success, like absolutely none. Cause they didn't, they didn't fulfill even just the baseline responsibility of giving a crap 
Just get- and, and I think it was beyond just not giving a crap. I think it was trying active to antipathy, <laughs> actively trying to stick it to UCLA too. I yeah. really believe that. Um, you know what? I'm going to, I'm going to release one name. That's a candidate for offensive coordinator because that will get a lot of people talking. And I've heard it. I heard it from the one source that I, I, that I other, I heard it from other sources rather than the one I need to protect. So ha, uh, Tommy Reese is, is being discussed. Uh, I don't know the details of how serious it is. I, I know that the program is uh, talking about Tommy Reese. If you you know Tommy Reese is uh, the former 31-year-old, former uh, uh, offensive coordinator at Alabama, uh, played at Notre Dame as a quarterback, has a history with UCLA. His dad, Bill Reese, was the recruiting coordinator in the late 90s. Um, he actually funny thing i think i've told the story bill reese and i went out to watch deshaun foster when he was a, a running back recruit at tustin high school um yeah that's how old i am uh his brother uh was a receiver at ucla so ucla ties he's currently you know after leaving alabama he is currently the tight ends coach with the cleveland browns um You'd have to think he might feel there's a better future being an offensive coordinator at a Big Ten college. Well, just Big Ten program, uh, just from the standpoint of making more money. Um, so that might that might be something that's very fun to think about. Um, Tommy Reese uh, has a reputation as a real up and coming kind of. Uh, uh, a great offensive mind. Um, so that would be, that would be very interesting if, if that came to pass. Yeah, that would be um, on the, you know, you really, you really set me up with the, the, like the, the jabs um, of uh, David Shaw. Um, so I would welcome being uh, roundhouse knocked out by um, somebody else. Anybody else. I, and I have to admit, like I wrote yesterday, I have not heard David Shaw's name mentioned since. So we heard it initially mentioned. And then what did um, Martin Jarman tell you that they were thinking of bringing in? He said, he, yeah, coach. wouldn't 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 hate the idea of a former head coach having some role on the staff. Yeah, maybe that's the leadership role. Potentially. Potentially. Um, but yeah, there's Tommy Reese. So think about that uh we've also i've also heard that derek sage the former tight end coach under uh well uh, how, how long was he coach he was just, under coach. Kelly. Was just, uh, under just chip kelly. kelly he um was then at nevada as the offensive coordinator he's now does not have a job but i heard he's being potentially considered for the tight ends coach uh that's that's about it at this point you know, I'll, we'll share more as I get more. Yeah. Um, we don't want to talk about the other one, linebackers. Oh, yeah, go ahead. Um, another option that we've heard is uh, Scott White, uh, UCLA's former linebackers and special teams coach in the latter part of the Mora era, uh, potentially for linebackers coach. That's not um, done deal by any means. But um, on the list of options, um, he was, 
he was uh, Jeff Ulbrich's understudy for the first three years, and he did a lot of recruiting work. Um, was a big part of why Ulbrich was a good recruiter. Was uh, Scott White did a lot of um, kind of the groundwork and legwork. Uh, as a coach, um, he was still a good recruiter. Um, special teams were not good in the end of the Mora era. He was the coordinator. How much you want to blame a special teams coordinator for bad special teams is up to you. All coaches, all coaches have a hand in special teams, so it's not really a single cook type thing. Um, and then linebacker play was up and down. Um, but you would be landing a pretty good recruiter in Scott White. He did a nice job recruiting and acquiring talent when he was at UCLA. There you go. Okay. Is that it? I think that's it. I think that's it. We're here. We are done now. We're, we're at about an hour, so that was good. It was great. All right. Well, for Tracy Pearson, I'm David Woods. Reminder, go to the game on Sunday, 4 p.m. Be there. It's your responsibility. Um, all right. Well, for Tracy Pearson, I'm David Woods. We're in a port online. We'll talk to you again next time. See y'all.